When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, uh, today I am actually talking with a childhood friend, and we're going to be talking about the power of music. And so I'm going to introduce uh, Joseph L. Young here to you in just a minute, but I, I wanted to start off with some information that's off his website, and you'll see very quickly why I wanted to talk to him today. Um, he is not only an award-winning musician, but he is fabulous at what he does. But I love what he says about his goals, that he wants to create music without boundaries, which offers a universal sound that everyone can enjoy, and also that he wants to help people work through their emotions, releasing the negative as they grow and change and serve as a catalyst to help people with their transformation. So again, everybody who's been listening for a long time, you know I'm all about the same things too. So I'm excited to have my friend Joseph Young with me and let's roll that episode. Hi, I'm Jason Mefford and you're in the right place to start transforming your career and life with this podcast. I've been in the trenches as an executive leader and now I'm an executive coach and confidential advisor to executives all over the world. I use a multidisciplinary approach to improve learning that drives transformation by getting to the root cause in a practical, no-nonsense way. I love learning and sharing what makes people tick. You get both education and entertainment, since learning shouldn't be boring, right? But that's enough about me. This podcast is a combination of intuitive leadership, neural influence, and mental mastery to take your career and life to levels you've never thought possible. If you're wanting to improve yourself, develop stronger relationships professionally and personally, make quicker, better decisions, and become a more effective leader, then of course, this podcast is for you because you are going to learn how to manage emotions in yourself and others, avoid burnout, stress, and anxiety, master your mind, get people to listen and take action, and become a lifelong learner. And when you do that, you will have a positive mental attitude, executive leadership presence, and the skills to know exactly what to say and do in any situation. I'm glad you're here. So, let's get started. All right, man. It is good to be back with you. I think we won't we won't embarrass both of ourselves by saying how long ago it's been since we <coughs> excuse me since we first met each other. But um, a couple of years, just a couple of years, right? We've got we've got a little more gray hair and a, and a little. You've still got the same amount of hair. I've got a little less hair <laughs> um, from when we were little. But you know, when I when I I was thinking about wanting to do an episode about music. And I just knew that I needed to talk to you. And so um, 
you know, so, so let me kind of in, introduce yourself a little bit to people, let people know, because you are, you're an award winning musician. You've been around for a long time. You make fabulous stuff. And we'll get into talking a little bit about that too, probably, but just give people a little bit of a background um, on, on who you are. So they kind of know who we're talking to today. Okay. Well, Joseph Young, as Jason said, um, currently living in Boise, Idaho. Uh, grew up in in Idaho, um, and I've been a musician since I was 12, I guess. Uh, I say saxophone was my first instrument. Uh, it was the first instrument I stuck with. Um, I think many of us played recorder in like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, we were in sixth grade band together. Yep. yep. And then I played guitar for a year, and I couldn't, I actually I had to ask my mother this because I couldn't remember how I decided to start playing saxophone, which it being a main instrument, you'd think I'd remember that. And she simply told me that I came home one day and said, I'm done with guitar, saxophone is my thing. And, um, you know, my parents are, are incredible, wonderful and supportive. And so they went, okay. Um, uh, they got me a saxophone, got me enrolled in band. And that was, that part of it was history. Um, I started writing music. I got my first keyboard, uh, child of the 80s um, synthesis. Oh, yeah. um, started writing music. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to date us a little bit here. Um, <laughs> some of my original compositions, I figured out I could um, write music on my Commodore 128. You uh -huh. can program the chip. And yep. I was fascinated with the game music. And so that was like some of my early stuff. And then I got a reel to room. My dad had a reel, reel to recorder that I started recording stuff on. Um, and I just started writing music and, and went, you know, crazy. That was my thing. And then later on in my 20s, I, I got into to world flutes, which became a vehicle for me for a lot of my, my new age instrumental albums. Most of them are all flute based, although there's saxophone on all of them a little bit. And then I have one entirely new age saxophone album, which is a strange concept for a lot of people, but hey, somebody had to do it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And I mean, you, you know, you think about, cause yeah, you fit into that new age genre, I think, right? But, but one of the things that I love about your music too is there's a lot of different stuff to it, right? So like you said, it might be, it might be primarily flute or saxophone based, but there's other stuff in there. There's the keyboards, there's, there's words, there's other sounds, um, you know, there's, there's other things that go to it to where it's almost like a, it, it's, it's a bringing together of kind of everything for me, because it's, it's almost like you're, you're listening to a Native American flute, and then there's some sounds in there that are almost like uh, science fiction spacey kind of stuff mm -hmm. that's that goes in there as well and i'm sure again that's that's all on purpose um as well as you're as you're kind of creating the music and doing that but just love how there's so many different instruments and sounds with your music as well so two of my early influences that i think really shaped my you know, how and why and, and how I write my music was Vangelis and Mannheim Steamroller. Mm -hmm. and, and both of those, Chip Davis, who is who is Mannheim Steamroller, <clears throat> um, Chip Davis and Vangelis, both 
do exactly what you said. They use a lot of sounds. They use a lot of different things together. There's many layers. And um, early on, I just really got a liking to putting things together that you don't always hear together every day. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's you know, I, I like to listen to your music. I've been, I've been doing it since we kind of reconnected on Facebook a few years ago and saw what you're actually doing. I've been listening to some of it. And and because I know for me, music plays an important role in my life, which obviously it does for you because you do this professionally, right? But just the power that music can actually have on us as humans as well, right? Um, and, and so maybe, you know, kind of talk a little to that if we can about, you know, how music helps us emotionally. I know you talked about, you know, trying to help release the negative and transform us. How does, how does music actually do that for us? Um, I think for me, I think for many teenagers, I think kids, teenagers especially, because, you know, you have all the hormones, things going on, junior high, high school, there's so much stuff that goes on in your formative years. And, and so whatever the music of the time is, is, you know, wherever you grow up in, that's your music for the rest of your life. And so whatever decade that is, I think everybody kind of gets married to that and they have strong emotional reactions to that. Um, and, you know, for me as a, as a musician, I don't know, I think artists are sometimes maybe more emotional than other people or maybe if it's not that we're more emotional, we're more in touch with it, um, hopefully for good. Um, you know, that's not always the case. It can go both ways. Um, but being an artist, you know, allows uh, me and other artists to, that's how, you know, for me, it's how I channel a lot of my emotion um, is putting it into to music in, in things. Um, when you first contacted me, so it was like, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe, uh, I started thinking of just like, kind of like my history of as a musician and things that have happened to me along those bases. And one thing I wanted a quick story that I wanted to get out there before we get away from it that I think is just really important and has to do the emotion and music is I was playing at a, in a trio. So it was me, I was playing Native American flute, um, two guitars, two singers, guitars and singers playing. We we're playing a Huron carol, which is a beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol and super haunting on a native style flute. Uh, and it was for a Christmas uh, service. I don't think it was Christmas. It was like something leading up to Christmas. Uh, but it's a very kind of haunting, mournful piece. And I already kind of knew this, but as a performer, it was something that I really took to heart. And you never know as a performer who is listening to you. You don't know who's in the audience. You don't know what kind of day they've had or where they are in life. And, you know, so we did, you know, did our songs um, and then, you know, went on with life. And it was about a week later, I got, I was working at Cathedral of the Rockies in, in Boise, Idaho at the time. And so I had a box, um, I was doing sound there and I got a letter in my box. And the letter was from somebody who was at the concert that night. And they were in a really, really bad place. And they talked a little bit about it, 
about you know what what it was not all of it and it wasn't really important but they were in a bad place emotionally there was bad stuff happening in their life and it was like a four-page letter about how uh, i still get emotional about this just talking about it but four-page letter about how that one song helped them have a better day that's powerful to me and that's if i ever doubt what i'm doing in music i think about that because it's like if if you can help somebody and not even know it through your art that's just that's amazing it it slays me to think about that how i mean that was a powerful musical moment well it is and to be able to be a to be the channel if you will to help that person with the healing you know and that's why it's it's um you know really everything and that's that's one of the reasons why i love music like i do because it it, it can help us in so many different ways right it, it speaks to us subconsciously in a way that we don't even realize it it brings back some of those you know, strong emotions that we have felt at different times, right? I mean, yeah. you talked about people being kind of stuck in, hey, I'm a 70s or I'm an 80s or I'm a 90s person, right? That's why there's those those stations on Sirius XM, right? Yeah. Yep. And so people that are child of the 70s, they listen to the 70s, seven on 70s, right? Uh, because that has so many emotional ties to them that they just love and connect with that music. But like you said, it, it's, it's, you know, for that, that person who was having a tough day, there was something about that song that pricked them and helped them work through it, right? Yeah. So, so music can be for good. It can be for, for bad too, if you will, right? I mean, it's, but one thing about music is we, we get to choose what we listen to. So I love it as a tool for helping us to be able to drive to the emotional state we want to be in as well, right? And I don't remember who, who said it, if it was, uh, it was one of the blues players that said, you know, when, when you're feeling sad, you play the blues. When you're feeling happy, you play the blues, right? <laughs> yep. there's, just, there, there's just certain music kind of that, that it, it, it just goes along with and, and helps you in whatever state you happen to be in at the time. So yeah, it's great, you know, and, and, you know, being able to be a part of that and help people transform, you know, like you said, they're on your website, um, is a great gift and it does, it makes me emotional as well. Right. It's like, it's like, I, I'm not a guy that cries, but I will tell you when I pick up my guitar and I start playing some songs, there's certain songs that, um, I have a hard time playing and singing because I get choked up, right? Yep. So being the performer, you know, that you are, it's it's got to be a little difficult too sometimes when you just kind of feel feel that coming through to kind of keep your shit together, if you will, <laughs> while you're performing as well, right? It's, <clears throat> there's been a couple, I've been, I guess, lucky as a performer. There's been, uh, like, I can count on, I think, one hand, five fingers, in my life, the amount of times where it was really hard to do that. Um, 
but I'm kind of a, an oddball, I think, as, as many performers, even early on, have stage fright. Oh, yeah. And, and for me, I got over stage fright in junior high. I got uh, over it early. And it was kind of, it was a very odd thing. It was actually almost, because uh, I, I ignored it. I had almost like, I remember soloing in jazz band. And I was nervous. And I stood up and I did my solo. And people afterwards complimented me on a solo, said, you know, you, you played really great. And I'm like, that's really cool because I have no memory of it at all. And so my way with dealing with that at the time, it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I stood up and did the solo. And then a part of me was kind of watching myself do that. And whatever that process was, by the time I got in high school, I really just performance became a thing that I just really loved to do and I can be feeling really awful and for me I have some sort of switch that gets flipped um, so not very long into it usually less than half a song um, it, it's kind of like a different reality for me when I'm on stage well, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you too is because exactly what you're just sharing, right, is something that can be applied to people, even if they aren't musicians, right? But in, in whatever they're doing, because mm -hmm. again, when you, you know, some people, you, you might've heard about flow state, right? Some people talk about flow state as being kind of that, that phenomenon that happens where you just get into it and you are just performing, right? And, and I know people have stage fright. People are af afraid of speaking in public. In fact, it's people are more afraid of that than death, which I've never been able to understand. <laughs> They're not gonna kill you on the stage, but. Yeah, I've always been okay with playing music, but I've never been comfortable with talking in public. That's okay. always talking has been, but but as, as long as I have an instrument to hide behind, I'm okay. <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> you got this little tiny sax or flute and you think like you're protected. Yep. But it's, but it's you know, I, I wonder with that too, right? Because you bring up about the stage fright to where, I, I don't know if this is what happens to you as well, but when I, when I see people get in that stage fright type of a situation, and again, it's not necessarily if they're if they have to you know speak in a meeting or you know do something that they're scared of doing mm -hmm. it seems like most people get stuck in their head at that point try to overthink they get into fear they're oh my gosh what are they going to think it seems like that's why people have the stage fright where you're like you said you got over it in junior high <laughs> of hey i'm just going to you know pick up my instrument and i'm going to play i'm not going to think about it yeah I'm just going to play. And I, and I think that's, that's another thing. Cause you know, you can play music mechanically, but it's different than if you're just playing it from that flow state and you get into zone or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. Yep. So as a musician, how do you kind of prepare yourself or what do you do to get into that state? Cause that's when we're performing at a higher level usually right instead of because it's like me i can't dance so it's like if i if i try to dance it's like you know oh one like the line dances and i'm trying to count and i just can't do it and it's like yeah. screw it right <laughs> but if i just let my body go and not have to worry about a form or structure yep then i can do it 
So <clears throat> I'm guessing it's the same way again for you as a musician and what things do you do and maybe what people can learn for how to apply this in other parts of their life when they feel like that clunky person that can't dance and just let it go and be. Yeah. Um, I think our, our conscious brain is one of our best slash worst friends. Mm -hmm. um, and it's our, our worst friend because that's usually our, our, that conscious part of us that the, the nagging voice so to say, is what gets us um, and causes us to feel clunky and, and trip up. And for me, whether it's performing on stage or um, we, we talked a little bit about um, before we started our you know recording here, um, Kung Fu, I, I, some analogies that'll yeah. come back to. Um, you know, no matter what you're doing it's kind of like whatever you do well that that one thing everybody's good at something um with luck maybe that's in our career um uh, maybe it's not in our career maybe it's a hobby that we have that we're really good at but those things that we're really good at and the reason why we get into um flow states which i hadn't heard before i like that term i'm gonna still that oh yeah there's a, there's a whole bunch of research actually on what they call flow state and how you actually get into it because it's supposed to, i'm going to geek out here again but it's supposedly actually higher brainwave activity than beta okay. yeah. but the problem is you get you get to those gamma waves by going back to alpha theta and somehow you jump over beta completely which cool. i don't totally understand but that's kind of how it works right so settle yourself down the mindfulness you get in the zone, but your brainwave activity is going like super light speed yeah. on the gamma wavelength. Cool. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, but, that's what I do for fun. <laughs> I like it. Um, but anyway, the, I, I think what for me, and I think for many, I was going to use the word professionals, but it, it's, it's not limited to professionals as limited. Like I was saying to whatever anybody is, if you're good at something, um, it's where you don't have to think about what you're doing. It's like when I'm teaching uh, a flute student, a native style flute student the, the first time, and I can get anybody going on a native style flute in, in 10 minutes. Uh, one of the hardest things is where do you put your fingers? Mm -hmm. And it's a coordination thing. And it has nothing to do with music. It has to do with coordinating your fingers and it's muscle memory. And so it's just like going to the gym. If, if you practice anything, and I think there's been studies done on this. I couldn't tell you what, what, what they are, but I know there's been studies done <laughs> that if you do anything, um, repetitive quality repetitions over a six week period, that it's almost a physical impossibility for you not to get better at whatever that thing is. I mean, barring outside, you know, issues yep. um, in a normal circumstance, it's almost physically impossible not to get better at whatever that is that you're doing. And so a lot of it, to some extent, is just physical preparation. And if you've, if you've done the physical preparation, um, and it's not even a brain thing almost, it is, but it isn't. Um, mm -hmm. So if you've done the physical preparation, then 
the body can take over when your conscious brain gets in the way. Um, the subconscious kind of takes over and does its thing. Uh, consciously, you might be freaking out, but if you've done the preparation, your subconscious goes, I got this. Um, take a take a walk while I, <laughs> you know, while I make this basket, while I give this speech, while I play this piece of music, while I do this um, gymnastics routine. Um, it, I think it, I'm a firm believer it works on all of that. Well, it does. Cause there's, I mean, like you said, you know, gymnasts or other professional athletes, they use the same, the same kind of techniques, right. Yep. Is, is to try to get into that state where they don't have to think they've actually subconsciously reprogrammed their brain at the subconscious level. So they can say, you know what, conscious ego state, I don't need you right for the next hour. Come get me when I'm done with my set. Yeah. you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and it is, but it comes from, like you said, that, that repetition. That's why, again, as you're teaching students how to play something like the native American flute, you're just trying to get them again, that repetition, that muscle memory of just teaching them, you know, again, it, it's, it's, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get a lesson from you at some point and actually, awesome. get, actually get one so I can start playing <laughs> that too, because I've started playing a drum that we were talking about before and it's the same thing. It's like, once you start learning certain patterns, then you just kind of let it go and see where it goes to. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing, yeah. like you said, it's the same thing with the flute, right? It's like, you don't have to worry about, about the notes or reading music. You just go with where you feel like you're going. Yeah. And, and ultimately that's one of the highest levels of, of doing anything is when you can, whatever the task is that you're, you have to do, if you can do that on automatic and you've done it so many times, you've done your preparation that it frees your brain to think about improving and not just improving, but it's like beyond improving because it, it, it frees your brain for one, you can pay attention. So it's like a good um, a good performer, and I will include speakers, you know, if you're speaking to a crowd and this, they're performers, um, is if you're stuck in your head and you're thinking about, oh, I hope I don't screw this up or what do I do next? You'll never get out of sight of your own little bubble. Um, but if all of that is blown away, you've done your, your preparation and you can connect with your audience. If you can like look at you know, get eye contact with the person in the front row and the back row and here and there. Um, that's where you draw people in. That's where you make people feel like they're part of the experience. Um, that you're, you know, just acknowledging that they're there with you. Uh, and that works as a performer. That works as, as talking to people. Uh, but then also, so there's like so many different brain pathways that open up when you don't have that um, part of it, as I was thinking as you're talking about, is fear, because we're afraid to screw up. We're all afraid to screw up. That's like the worst thing. Um, and um, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm prone to going on tangents. So if you need to get me back on a track. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> um, I'm going to circle back around here in a second. My Kung Fu instructor calls it investing in loss. Um. So... One thing I learned about when you're sparring somebody and, you know, 
you're sparring somebody in class, it's not if you're going to get hit, it's when you're going to get hit. You will get hit and you'll get hit often if, if you spar a lot. And you, at some point, you just have to tell yourself that's okay because you've put yourself in a safe environment, which is like the biggest thing. If you put yourself in a safe environment that, you know, no matter what you're doing, that lets you push your boundaries a little bit, maybe get outside your box. So you know that maybe it's a little bit of a competition with this other person, but they're not going to kill you, you know? (laughs) So the very first time I got the wind knocked out of myself sparring, it was a shock. It was like, and it was kind of scary. But then the second time it happened, it was like, oh, it was such a totally different experience the second time it happened because I'd experienced it once. And so that failure taught me a huge lesson. And and I guess the biggest thing is if, if you can learn from every failure it's not a failure it's a, it's an opportunity to learn it's investing in loss uh and it's kind of changing uh, the way you look at it in your brain so if i make a mistake on stage uh the performer's for, first rule is you never acknowledge the fact that you made a mistake because as soon as you do as soon as your your um your face or your body tells the audience that you made a mistake, now they know, you've just told them. If you don't tell them, most of them won't ever know. Oh, you were just improvising, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, because it's just like, you know, actually a friend of mine, we were talking about studio made music versus live music, you know, as well, to where it's like sometimes people want to show up at a live venue and they expect to hear the studio version mm-hmm. you can't recreate the studio <laughs> version live it just you don't have the loopback tracks you don't have you just can't do it right yeah. and so so there's always some improvisation that kind of goes along with it but but i love what you said too right it's like the first time you got hit and knocked down in kung fu it's like oh okay well the second time not anywhere nearly as bad because that fear had gone down you've already experienced it once you know what it's like the next time it's easier the next time after that it's easier you know i think that's the way it is with with everything there's really no failure there's only feedback yeah one of the things i like to say right is is it's investing in loss i think right it's what your what your teacher was telling you and it's okay because at the end of the day we're not gonna as long as you're in a safe place, like you said, we're not going to die. What's the worst that might happen? I don't know. People might laugh a little bit, but then we get over it and we move on. Yeah. And, and no, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, cause a lot of times what's interesting is some of the, some of the mistakes have become some of the biggest inventions or transformations, you know, oh, things like oh. post-it notes. And I mean, the list is on and on and on and on about all these things that people thought, Oh, well, it didn't do what we thought it was going to do. We failed, mm-hmm. but when they flipped it around, it wasn't a failure at all. It was actually, you know, I think Edison said something like, I, did, I, I, I didn't, I learned 10,000 ways not to make the light bulb. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. <clears throat> well, and I also think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 
I am a I am a firm believer too that that all of those experiences, the more you can seek those types of things out, that that's going to push your buttons and make you grow. Um, whether you know the art or inventing things or whatever, it can really, if you have those failures and you allow yourself to learn from them, if you ever do get in a situation that's not safe in in whatever fashion and and that is going to happen to everybody at some point because that's just a part of life that you end up in you know not safe spaces whatever that means you know to you and when you get to those places that you are much that you don't panic that you have a clear head that you're much more able to analyze the situation and navigate it better having experienced that that other stuff uh, I wish I could remember the name. My father's a helicopter pilot, um, and over the course of his flying years, um, took some various psychology courses. And I can't remember the name of the psychologist, but uh, there was a the study done, and and it's how people it's how people react to different situations, and people react exactly how they were taught to react. Yeah. Um, and this is. I always remember this one because it was tragic, but it, it is such a, a, to me, it is like, it reminds me and points out, I will react how I was taught to react, whether it be on stage or driving my car or whatever. And that was, it seems like it was in the seventies, there was an officer that was killed in a, a, a gunfight with bad guys. And at the time, the rule at whatever the, the police station he was at, I don't know if this was nationwide or just his you know, precinct or whatever, that when they went to do target practice, they would you know, shoot the target and then they'd police their brass. They would, you know, they were, this was the, you know, the revolver at the time. And so they would shoot their target and then they would pick up their brass before they reloaded and shot their target. And so what did they find in this dead officer's front pocket? His police brass. Yep. So in, in a situation that was life or death, he reverted to his training. And when he should have been reloading and, you know, firing back, he was picking up, you know. And so that's like, you know, that, that's, an, that's an awful, awful thing. But, man, that can apply to so many areas in life as far as training goes well it is and that's that's why the, the you know like we were talking about this muscle memory the the stuff that you're doing why why you practice you know i mean mm -hmm. it's the same thing if anybody is listening and plays music you got to practice right you don't yeah. just pick it up and not be able to do it because you have to you have to develop these skills and get the muscle memory going but yeah it's it's the same thing you know that's why on airplanes you listen to the same safety stuff yep. every time right yeah and even though we're not actively listening to it, we've learned it, we've practiced it. And that's why when issues happen, you know, everybody just follows a protocol and things work the way that it's supposed to, because that's what we've practiced, yeah. you know, as well. Yep. And, that's, and that's why I love using music as a way to help me practice too, not just in playing, but in, in getting in certain emotional states and being smart about using music <clears throat> to help me feel what I want to feel, mm -hmm. right? 
Because yeah. again, I'm, I'm I'm guessing if if you're like most musicians, you don't just listen to your music and you don't just listen to your genre of music <laughs> that you play, right? You you're yeah. like you're you're getting. I mean, it's obvious from your music. You're getting inspiration from lots of different places from, yeah, and making everywhere. it your own. Yeah, and that's that's really kind of another life lesson for us as well, too, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I think that's the early composers that I listened to that really inspired me were composers that had a wide palette of, of instruments to draw from. And they were composers that would take a Chinese erhu, which is a one stringed violin. It's kind of like, oh, you know, that's, that's you what that like is. a chord and then yep. the stick and then one string that comes down um, would take something as exotic as an erhu and um, you know put it with a, a violin or a saxophone or something um, and so that always inspired me here hearing those different things that made me want to do things like do write songs with penny whistles and saxophone and native american flute and saxophone because you don't hear that it's not that it's never been done um, but it hasn't been done much. Mm -hmm. Well, that, and that's one of the things that, like I said, I appreciate about your music is, and really it's a lesson for all of us, right? Is we're all creators. So create and do stuff <laughs> that's different and new, um, you know, as well, kind of drawing from all of these different, different places. Cause again, like you said, sometimes you wouldn't think of it together but when you put it together, it's actually very beautiful. Yeah. Um, I had an, I had an experience at a concert one time I was giving, I was in, I think I was in Seattle and I have, I have a good friend that is one of the, everybody I hope has one of those friends that doesn't pull any punches and whether it's uncomfortable or not, they will tell you the truth but they do it in a way that it's like there's no meanness behind it so if it's like something that's hard to hear there there's not like ill intent um and and so uh it was one of those friends that was just always like whenever i see him um you know hearing how he analyzes things is, is always interesting anyway i i had a a, a playing a, a partner that was traveling with me and we were doing a flute with saxophone and native style flute. And <clears throat> there's a lot, let's see, how to, how do I approach this delicately? There's, there's a lot of people in the world who, if they're into native style flute, that they really, really like it as a solo instrument. And they don't like um, most of what I do, <laughs> uh, combining it with all these other instruments. And so seeing uh, a native style flute with a saxophone, we were at this concert and evidently he was sitting behind this couple. And when we started playing this, he said, I, he saw this person do this and kind of, you know, like they were, they were like, they were setting themselves up not to like it. They're just like, oh, this is gonna, yep. you know, not go well. And so he watched them throughout the rest of the performance. And he said about halfway through the song, they had relaxed their arms and they were kind of bobbing their head a little bit. And it's like, 
we got them they liked it. it because it is a really beautiful combination but they kind of had this you know i guess they were like oh no this is gonna suck <laughs> so well another good life lesson for us too right to give things a chance yeah because yeah. because again it's it's the um you know if we're closed off then we're not open to that expansion yeah uh of the other stuff coming in so no well this has been it's been great. I know I, I, could sit, I could sit and talk for like two or three hours, but I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't make people <laughs> hold on that long. But um, no, this has been fabulous. It's been great to reconnect with you and just kind of, you know, talk through some of this stuff. Because again, I, I wanted to hear it from the musician's perspective as well and kind of explain some of those things that, that I see or I've experienced a little bit too, but that has broader applicability to more than just music as well you know because like we said i mean a lot of these things we've been talking about they apply whether you're you know given those uh, not not even a speech but you know you have to talk at the next department meeting or whatever yeah. it might be um where you're having to put yourself out there and doing those things to get the muscle memory you know realizing investing in the loss and realizing that feedback is not scary there's nothing to fear from it it's actually how we learn it's how yeah you know, we only learn by making mistakes. Yeah. And if you do your preparation so well that you can read the room and if halfway through whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's talking to the marketing people or a new client or, or a concert, you can read the room and the temperature is different than you thought it was. Then if you've done the prep, that gives you the ability to not panic and think, you know, think more clearly and change direction, um, you know, play a different note, play a different style, use a different wordage. Um, if I could, if I could talk nearly as well as I could play, um, <laughs> I could go into oration, I think. <laughs> well, because that's where, again, I mean, life is, improv is Im improvisation, right? Life I mean, is improvisation. It is. It is. I mean, and, and that's why it's, um, you know, we just got to be be comfortable and let go and get into that flow and just realize everything has always been okay. Everything is okay now. Everything is going to be okay in the future. Just relax, right? Yep. If, if, you, if you've been prepared, because I know I, I hear that from a lot of people. It's like, well, don't you need to prepare more? It's like, I've been preparing my whole life for it. Why do I need to keep doing a little bit more? We're just going, right? I've, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it is, is kind of the way um, that life ends up working too for yeah. us. So great well, stuff. I, I think people sometimes too, they look at somebody who pull off a presentation and it went really easy. And they're like, man, how did that person do that? And they'll ask them, it's like, how long did you prep for that? And maybe the answer is an hour, maybe it's three hours, but the real answer is you already said it. They've been prepping for that their whole life. And yeah. it's like whatever your life experience factors into that prep time. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily consider that. Well, they don't. It's, it was, uh, you know, because when you look at, I think it, I think it was uh, Itzhak Perlman who, who, who gave this, you know, another pretty famous musician right and and i think it, it was after a concert that he had done it must have been a smaller concert or something because people were were talking to him or a lady came up to him and said something like oh you know mr perlman i would 
I would give my life to be able to play like you. And he said, ma'am, I have <laughs> given my life to play like this. I mean, yep. that's one of those guys. I think he, he practices something like eight or 10 hours every single day. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that's, that's why he has done it because he's done the work every day. And so it's, it's easy for him. That's, that's why it is, why, why, why he does what he does. And really the same can be true for any of us, because again, I'm not a great sax player. I can't even make it play. <laughs> I can do some other things, but what you brought up, which I thought is a great way to probably kind of end for us is everybody is good at something, right? We all have some gifts we're all really good at some things yep. and whatever it is that we're really good at and that's passionate where we, about and passionate about that's where we can really kind of jump in and honestly make make changes to the world right that's why you're doing what you do that's why I do what I do they're different things but there's you know we both have that passion and that reason for doing what we're doing which you know deep down we're trying to help change the world and make it better for everybody right yep. <laughs> So, well, Joe, thank you. And, uh, you know, again, everybody who's listening, go out, listen to his music. You can find it. I think a lot of places I know I, I use Apple, so I get my stuff from there, but yep. also your website's josephlyoung.com. Yep. Um, so you can go out and see there, you know, what, what are any other places for people to kind of go? Um, Pandora, Spotify, um, okay. Amazon, and this seems like overdone sometimes, but for, for anybody who's a musician or an artist or, or YouTube people, whatever, giving a thumbs up or a like helps the algorithms. It helps us tremendously when people do that. So not just adding it to your playlist, but, you know, give it the thumbs up. Um, and, or if you really like it, sharing it with people is, is huge too. So not just me, but any artist or Jason's podcast, like it, share it, um well yeah because that's why we're all creators yeah right? and so again <laughs> it's like anything that we're creating or doing man it feels nice when people <laughs> like it and share it you know yeah. um so yeah i've i never even thought about that so i got to go out to apple now and make sure that i'm liking liking your stuff or doing what i can to try to help the algorithms from my side too because i do like it yeah and um, it's helped me helped me a lot too so wonderful to hear thank you so much for having me on this has been fun well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you enjoyed the most about the podcast. And you may even be featured on a future episode. When you're ready to turbocharge your leadership development, join the Briefing Leadership Program where you get access to everything in one place and can interact directly with me in the group. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy's video on-demand learning platform at ondemand.criskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you will also have access to hundreds of video on-demand learning opportunities. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.